The first lesson, which is also the text for the sermon, from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, the commander of the king of Aram's army, was a great man in the opinion of his master. He was highly honored because the Lord had provided victory for Aram through him. Although he was a powerful warrior, he had leprosy. Raiding parties had once gone out from Aram and brought back a young girl. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish my master stood before the prophet who is in Samaria because he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his master what the servant girl from the land of Israel had said. Then the king of Aram said, Go there. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman went, and he took ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. Then he took the letter to the king of Israel. The letter said, Now when you receive this letter, you will know that I am sending my officer Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothing and said, Am I God that I can kill and make alive? Why is he sending a man to me for me to heal him from his leprosy? See how he is looking for a pretext to fight against me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped in front of the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him to say, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan. Then your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman was angry and he left, saying, Look, I said to myself, He will certainly come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and I will be cured of the leprosy. Aren't the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went away in a burning rage. But his servants approached and spoke to him. They said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not do it? How much more when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. Then his flesh was restored like the flesh of a small child, and he was clean. Then he and his whole escort went back to the man of God. He stood in front of Elisha and said, To be sure, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Naaman is a powerful man. He is an effective warrior who commands a powerful army. But of course there are some things that human power cannot help, and one of those things often is disease. Naaman has leprosy and he is powerless to cure it. Now there were probably lots of different incurable skin diseases that got filed under this one word that gets translated as leprosy. So we don't really know if this disease that Naaman has, if it is the extremely painful and terminal kind of leprosy, or if it was more of just an annoyance in his life. There's a lot of hints in the story that it was probably more toward that serious side of the spectrum. Whatever it is exactly, Naaman has no power to cure this leprosy. 
So it's a good thing for Naaman that on one of his raids, he brought home a gift for his wife, a girl from the neighboring nation of Israel who became his wife's servant. It's also a good thing for Naaman that this girl from Israel apparently feels some level of kindness for him, even though he was essentially her kidnapper. Also a good thing for Naaman that this girl from Israel is extremely brave because it is at the risk of her own life that she speaks up to Naaman's wife and recommends a prophet that she knows from back in her home country who could cure Naaman of his leprosy. So Naaman goes to his master, the king of Aram, and he asks for permission to travel to Israel and to try to find this prophet who could cure him of his disease. So it's because of the kindness and the bravery of that Israelite girl that we have the rest of this story, the rest of the story of Naaman. And it is a story that teaches us that in order to find God's power, in order to find the promise and the blessing of God, you have to stop looking at things just on the surface and look deeper. Now, the way that the king of Israel reacts when he reads the letter from Naaman's king is sad and it is ironic. The letter says, I am sending my officer Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. Now we need to remember that the king of Israel was not supposed to be just the political leader of God's chosen people, but he was also supposed to be their spiritual leader. The king of Israel was to be a shepherd king who guided God's chosen people in faith in the Lord. And yet, when the king of Israel reads that phrase so that you can cure him of his leprosy, he panics. The king of Israel panics because he obviously does not believe what that servant girl from his own country believes, that if the power of the Lord is behind this prophet, the disease will be cured. So when Naaman reads the phrase, so that you can cure him, he thinks only in terms of his own human power, which of course is powerless to do anything about this at all. There is no amount of human power that can help with Naaman's leprosy. Naaman does not have the power to cure it, and neither does the king of Israel, which is why he panics and thinks this whole thing might be an excuse to start a war with him. But what Naaman is about to learn is that where human power is powerless, the Lord's power still prevails. But to find it, you have to look deeper, beneath the surface of things. So the prophet Elisha summons Naaman from the king of Israel. And Naaman is probably a little bit insulted already at the way this starts off. Because Elisha does not even come out of his house and deal with Naaman in person. Look him eyeball to eyeball. Instead, Naaman just sends out a messenger to relay instructions to Naaman. And they are instructions that, from Naaman's point of view, are just way too easy. Way too simple. Go and wash seven times in the Jordan. Then your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. And Naaman blows his stack at those instructions. Why would he go and wash in a mucky, dirty river like the Jordan to cure a skin disease? 
you are much more likely to catch an additional skin disease by washing in the Jordan River than you are to cure an existing one. And why did he have to travel 500 miles from his home city of Damascus to wash in the Grody Jordan River anyway? He says, aren't the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And from a certain perspective, Naaman has a point. Those rivers he mentions, those are swift, clean mountain rivers right in his own backyard. From Naaman's perspective, the way he is looking at things at this point in the story, the whole idea of traveling all that way and then washing in a grody river like the Jordan is ridiculous. But what Naaman is about to learn is that God often hides his power, his promise and his blessing beneath things that on the surface do not look like very much at all. Now before you understand that, before you see things that way, you can only see them the way that Naaman is currently seeing them. If something amazing is going to happen, if an incurable skin disease is going to be cured, then it should require something that looks a whole lot more amazing than washing in a river like the Jordan. Look, I said to myself, he will certainly come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and then... I will be cured of my leprosy. See, what Naaman is expecting here is some kind of show, some kind of song and dance, a little hocus-pocus from Elisha that will cure him of his leprosy. And when, Elisha does not, when Naaman does not get these fireworks that he thinks it should take, he's so angry that he's ready to turn around and make the entire 500-mile trip right back home. So he turned and went away in a bitter rage. See, Naaman is looking at things only on the surface and he is missing what is deeper. This plan is not going to work because the waters of the Jordan River are somehow special or carry some magical or medicinal quality. And it's not going to work because Elijah waves his hand and gives it some hocus-pocus and speaks a magic formula. It's going to work because the promise of God and his power is in the otherwise ugly waters of the Jordan. It is a really good thing for Naaman in this story that he has so many servants who care about him and are brave enough to speak up. First it was the girl who spoke to his wife, and now it's the servants here on this day who speak up again to try to help Naaman. They try to calm him down and get him to think this through a little bit my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not do it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be clean? Now their logic, which is basically, hey, we came all this way, might as well give it a shot. That logic actually lands with Naaman, and he finally does go and follow the very simple instructions of the prophet Elisha. And when he does, lo and behold, it works. His skin is cleansed clean like the skin of a, of a little child. And now, Naaman sees. Now Naaman understands. Beneath the waters of the Jordan River, under the surface, is the promise of the Lord God of Israel, wash and be cleansed. Now Naaman knows you have to look deeper to find God's power. So, he has faith in the Lord. He even returns to Elisha the prophet and confesses the Lord God of Israel as the one true God in all the world. We live in a world that is obsessed 
with the way things look on the surface. External appearances. You do an experiment sometime and watch two or three hours of primetime television, sitcoms or dramas, doesn't really matter. Count the number of unattractive people you find on your screen. Unless the plot of the show specifically calls for an ugly person, like you need an unattractive person there in the story, it's likely that you're not going to find a single one in even a, a two or three hour block of television. If you walk through the clothing stores at Potomac Mills and, and look at the pictures on the wall, everyone is gorgeous. Everyone is amazingly beautiful. You're not going to find one ugly person unless it's maybe the before picture and a before and after picture for a skin cream or something like that. Even politicians benefit from looking good. Not very many people want to hear policies from somebody unless they're trim and pretty or tall and handsome. I don't think it's a coincidence that every president in my lifetime has been over six feet tall, and most of them have been handsome and had a very nice smile. We live in a shallow world that is obsessed with the way that things look on the outside, the way they look on the surface. And when things look ugly, or maybe not even ugly, but just kind of blah, just normal. We're ready to do what Naaman did at the Jordan River and just turn away from it. Maybe not in a burning rage like he did, but maybe just with a yawn and a shrug of the shoulders. Because what the Lord once said to another one of his prophets named Samuel is still true. People look at the outward appearance. What Naaman learned in the Jordan River and what all of God's people need to learn is to look deeper than the surface in order to find God's power and his blessing. Because the rest of what the Lord said to his prophet Samuel is also true. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Beneath the waters of the Jordan River, Naaman found the promise of God to cure his leprosy the heart of things. God has also given us faith to look at things the way he does, not just the way they look on the surface, but to look deeper, to look at the heart of things the way the Lord does. And he gave us that faith in the waters of baptism. When we were baptized, God gave us faith to trust in our Savior Jesus. He washed away all our sins. That faith that trusts in Jesus, that is the same faith that looks at things beneath the surface, that looks at them deeply, at the heart of the thing, the way the Lord does. You know, baptism itself is one very clear example of God, how God hides his power and promise beneath the surface. Because the water that is used in baptism really doesn't look like much at all, does it? But just as the dirty waters of the Jordan River held God's promise and his power to cure Naaman's leprosy, the waters of baptism hold God's promise, his power, to wash away our sins. When we come to the altar for the Lord's Supper, we see this principle in play again because God uses two of the most common, unimpressive things on the planet, bread and wine. And underneath them, what do we receive? The body and blood of our Savior, the promise of forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. The cross of our Savior Jesus is the clearest and most powerful example of this. Our entire Christian faith focuses on a site that you couldn't just call 
unimpressive or unattractive. The cross of our Savior Jesus is ugly. I mean, it's the sight of a man who is battered and bruised, hanging on an instrument of torture. But God gives us faith to look more deeply into that cross and to see the most beautiful thing that there is in the universe. The eternal love of God that would punish his son for our sins so we don't have to take that punishment in hell. The eyes of faith look at that cross more deeply and find the forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven, the most beautiful gifts that God could ever give us. Now there are many other places in the life of a Christian where we need to look at things more deeply. One is when we pray. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I expect to see results that are beautiful and spectacular. And of course, how do I define beautiful results? God should give me right now exactly what I have in mind, right? That would be beautiful. That would be a wonderful result. And what happens when I don't get that? I start to see prayer as a bit of a wild goose chase. And that gets reflected in the amount of time and energy that I put into my prayers. We need to more, look more deeply at the activity of praying. The effectiveness of our prayers, whether or not they work, does not depend on what we see, the results with our eyes. It depends on the promise of God that is behind our prayers. God promises that when his people pray, that for Jesus' sake, he listens every time. And he gives us what is best every time. The effectiveness of our prayers does not depend on what we see with our eyes, but on the promise of God that is behind them. We need to look more deeply, too, when it is time to learn and to study God's word. Because, you know, on the surface, the Bible doesn't look very impressive, does it? And what I mean by that is if you, if you put a Bible up on a bookshelf with 500 other books, it's not like the Bible has a glowing aura around it or anything like that. It looks like all the other books on the shelf. And because the Bible doesn't look so impressive on the, on the surface, Sometimes Christians take the attitude of, well, I'll study it if I have to, you know, or if the, the topic being studied is, is of personal interest to me. Or when the word of God is being presented, we might have more focus and attention on surface things, external things that, that really don't matter all that much. Like, is the person preaching it charming, right? Is the person presenting the Bible class entertaining me? I have a friend who is a pastor who told me a story several years ago about a lady in his congregation who st suddenly stopped attending worship. And when he finally got the chance to sit down with her and ask her why, she gave this as the reason. Your voice is annoying. I can't concentrate when you talk because of your voice. Now, for the record, she's not wrong. Okay, he does... <laughs> His voice, it doesn't fit his body. He's very small and he has a very deep voice and it is kind of distracting. But imagine conditioning whether or not you're going to listen to the word of God on something like that. Now that is an extreme and silly example, but it is an example of what is often true. That when the word of God is presented, often we're looking at things on the surface that really don't matter all that much at all. And we might even condition whether we're going to listen on those things. When it comes to hearing and learning the word of God, we have to look a lot deeper than the person who is presenting it or the building or the flowers or the vestments or anything else. 
Because the power and the promise of God is not in any of those things. It is deep down in his word. It is in the message of the forgiveness of sins in the cross of his son, Jesus. We, we have to look more deeply, too, at problems and troubles that come into our lives. Just as one example, when a, a friend or a family member dies, what am I going to see if I look just at the surface of that? I've lost that person, right? And now, stretched out in front of me are, are years in this world with, with less joy and with less companionship. That's what I'll see if I just look at it on the surface. But if you look at it more deeply, you see the blessing of God that is behind the death of that person. They're not lost. They are eternally blessed by their Savior in heaven. And I'm not alone. I have the promise of my Savior that he is still with me. And I am going to see that person again in the kingdom of heaven. And we'll be with each other forever. So you have to look behind it and see the empty cross of your Savior, and hear the words he spoke at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, whoever believes in me never dies. And finally, we need to look more deeply when we look at each other. Because when we look at our fellow Christians, if we're only looking at the surface, what might we see? Well, we might see someone who can be annoying and inconsiderate. We might see on the surface a person who has a way of saying insensitive things at inappropriate times. And if that's all I see is the surface of my fellow Christian, I'm going to see somebody who doesn't really deserve my time. Or maybe somebody who even deserves to have a grudge held against them. But we need to look at each other more deeply and see the promise and the love of God in that other person that Jesus died to forgive their inconsiderate words and their careless actions just as much as he did mine. That they are just as forgiven and a child of God as I am in Jesus Christ. See, if we look at each other that way, more deeply, it will be much harder to see each other as people who are annoying or who should be avoided. And instead, we'll see each other as blood-bought brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We thank God for giving us faith to see things the way he does and the way Naaman does. And we ask God to grow that faith in us all the time, to look more and more deeply, to find the power of God beneath the surface, beginning and ending, in the cross of our Savior. Amen.